Welcome to another episode of Blokes Watch Movies. Thank you for joining us once again. And today we're going to do our very first cult special. It's a feature that we're going to do on forthcoming episodes. I don't know how often we're going to do this. Maybe monthly, bi-monthly. We'll, we'll kind of work it out. We're going to review films that we consider fantastic cult movies. And we decided to start it off with one that I think a lot of people will be familiar with. But if you're not then please do go and watch this because it's an absolute classic. The film is from 1979 and it's The Warriors. As always, I'm joined by my good friends and co-hosts, Jim and David. Jim and Dave, how are you today? I'm doing well, thanks, Mark. Very good, thank you, Mark. Good stuff, good stuff. So let's get straight into the movie, Jim. Why don't you give us a plot summary? Okay, yeah, so The Warriors is uh, quite a simple film to summarise. You can summarise it in a few sentences. So it takes place over one summer night, and you have this Coney Island-based gang called The Warriors who are travelling up to the Bronx for a summit that has been organised by the leader of a gang called the Gramercy Riffs. And this leader, uh, his name is Cyrus, wants to organise a citywide truce among the gangs so that they can take over the city because he's figured out they outnumber the police three to one. And everyone is going to go along with this until the leader of a ragtag group called the Rogues uh, decides to shoot Cyrus dead. And the Warriors are blamed for Cyrus um, being killed. And now they have to get back home to Coney Island but they are unarmed, as everyone is at this uh, summit, and every gang in the city is looking for them. And it's about a 30, 35-mile journey on foot through the subway, and, yeah, they just have to survive. And, um, yeah, they want to make it home to Coney Island, where they will be safe. And, uh, yeah, so it just, yeah, the film chronicles their odyssey home, and they fight their way home, or bop their way home, as... um, is part of the parlance uh, of the warriors but as i say it's a very simple film uh, to describe it's a film that i know very very well i think i saw this for the first time when i was 11 or 12 do you guys remember when you first saw it mark 1987 i was eight Bloody hell. no sorry 1989 i was eight this movie is well, was my dad's favorite film of all time this and assault on precinct 13 so like it was one of those films that was always on around my home you know what i mean right so when when I found out it was a cult movie, I, I was surprised because growing up it was just something that, you know, it was part of my VHS collection that I would just throw in. So I've watched it so many times, it's unbelievable. And I, I, I adored the movie, but we'll get into that in a little bit because, David, it was the first time you watched it was this morning, right? Yep, I, was, yep, I, I remember it very well. It was about three hours ago. Um, and <laughs> yep, I actually did enjoy it. I, 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 I think to myself, if you've watched it as a child... You will love it forever. Watching yeah. it for the first time as a grown man, I did enjoy it. I can't lie. I'd be surprised if I ever watched it again, but I did enjoy it as well. You know, but I think that's what you're sort of realizing there is. I think if you grow up watching a film, you'll love it forever. But I did enjoy it. I can't lie. It was probably enjoyable. Yeah, from beginning to end. Obviously, I had no idea what it was about. All I knew was used to always used to talk about it growing up. It was about gangs. And I knew that um, their, their poster for the film was what the WWF Royal Rumble poster was based on. You just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was. It's yeah. actually the truth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's yeah, all I knew about it. But I did really enjoy it. I loved it. It was so old school with the gangs and, the, you know, a very odd film. But yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. 
yeah, there's, I... there's three key points I'd like to make before we get into it. So the first key point is, number one, like David's just said, this film resonates with pop culture. As in, he's just said the, the, the artwork features in the WWE. We've got numerous amounts of lines that are laced throughout hip-hop tracks from the 90s through to today. Um, as well as the fact that the imagery um, resonates through so many other shows or TV programs or films I've seen as well. So in terms of pop culture, it is massive. The second point I want to make is this is a gang movie, but at no point do you believe in any of the gangs. <laughs> like, do, do you know what I mean? Like, it's quite clear what they're trying to show, but they orchestrate it so the gangs look so ridiculous that you know that couldn't possibly have been a gang because you never would have took them seriously. And I think they do that on purpose to stop, because grand culture was so rife when the film came out, to kind of stop that rivalry and take a little bit of the edginess out of it. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, like I remember what, when I was re-watching it in the run-up to this, I, I was struck by the thing, uh, struck by the observation that there is no one in this film that I would cross the street to avoid. Like, you, know, the, the, yeah. <laughs> like, you think of gang members, you think of the type of person who's so intimidating, you might you don't, won't want to go near them. Or like you, if you're yeah. walking, like, oh, no, I'm going to cross the street over there just so there's no trouble. I would walk through the Warriors. I would walk through more or less every gang in this uh, in this film, apart from the baseball furies, because they're clearly nutters. But otherwise, like, yeah, no one is totally particularly intimidating. And it's funny that you say that because the Baseball Furies is the one that if anybody replicates in a, in a music video or um, it's them because they're the one that is quite daunting. But other than that, for example, the biggest gang in the film is the Rifts. Yeah. But this is a bunch of black guys that walk around the streets in kimonos. <laughs> like, it's not, it's not daunting. <laughs> I'm not looking at these guys thinking, oh my God, they're going to mug me. <laughs> But it doesn't take away from how sort of enjoyable the movie is. Like you take it seriously while you're watching it. Like, and I think yeah, the older all. you get, the more you're able to suspend disbelief about the warriors. The more you enjoy it. Like these characters looked cool to us when we were like ten or eleven, because we didn't really have a concept of you know gang culture at, at that age and what it was sure. supposed to be and how real it was. But the older you get, you just accept it as a, a heightened reality and i wanted to ask um did uh in the run-up to the recording this did you guys watch the director's cut of the warriors or was it the original theatrical cut uh, were there comic book interludes in the version of the film that you watched no i i was going to download it and i was having issues so i just watched it on prime which is the actual um the cinema cut the the one that they would have shown originally not the director's cut what about you david I actually don't know. Um, there was, in between scenes, it would sort of go to a, a comic book, yeah. a bubble would come up, and then it would just sort of free, uh, freeze on that and then cut to another scene. But Yeah, no, you uh, watch the director's cut, which I think came out in about 2005, and so when Walter Hill, the director, went back to this film, he deliberately um, put in comic book interludes in between scenes, as well as um, an opening narration that made clear that the film was based on Greek myth, uh, and it's actually based on the Greek myth by uh, Xenophon, the Anabasis, which is about uh, a group of uh, Greek mercenary soldiers who were stranded in, I think it's Mesopotamia, but they have to get you know, from Mesopotamia to, to Greece. It's like a thousand mile journey that takes you know, sort of years and they have to fight their way across. Um, and I think like 
in when this film originally came out you know it would have just been a a standard exploitation movie but like now with the director's cut it it draws attention to how ridiculous it is and i think that's one of the reasons why that the film can endure like you people can rediscover it because you you watch it now and you don't think the film thinks its characters are particularly hard if that makes any sense so you just accept it as like a a movie as a a heightened reality and, and very much a comic book type story yeah, because if I, if I was ever describing the film to someone that's never seen it, I wouldn't actually call it a gang movie. I'd start by saying it was a chase movie. Absolutely. Very much like Apocalypto is. So, yeah, that would always be my starting point. One of the things I do love about this movie, though, is the soundtrack and the woman that's the DJ. You know, all oh, you groovy cats and kittens, those warriors are still out there. Like, I love that bit. Um, I just I think it's really cool. And, it, and the bit I love about it is they never show any of the gangs tuning into her. You just know that they must be listening, otherwise she's completely and utterly wasting her time yes. saying what she's saying. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought that was just, yeah, that's a very striking, like, that's one of the very striking visuals to it, not just like, the gangs, but like that the framing of that DJ, like, you only ever see the bottom half of her face. I think the background is kind of like an, an orangey red, you know, kind of thing. It, it's very, very striking. It's And, you know, like, any time anyone would do anything similar, it would make you think of, it would make you think of the Warriors, I think it's a you know, very, very unique um, sort of way of doing it. And it is a shortcut. I mean, one of the things, at the older I get, the more obvious it is that this like this film had no budget like whatsoever. And you can see that you can see that in the action choreography, because um, if you pay attention, a lot of the, the fighting moves that the characters do, um, it's the same thing from different angles or repeated. It's like, you know, they they didn't have the, the budget to do you know big action sequences and a lot of the time um the characters are standing in a line delivering their dialogue like one by one because they didn't have the time or money to film you know loads of close-ups but for all of that there is there is just such a an energy to this movie that carries you through and you don't really know it's a mark it, to me it's the mark of a very well-made film that it can be so obviously low budget but you don't notice it until you've seen it like a dozen times like i have the the villain in the movie, movie the guy that played the, the leader of the rogues, is excellent. Like, in terms of the actual characters, I hate him. Yes. And that's the point. Like, you're supposed to hate him. He's, he, he steals the show for me. Even at the end when he's found out and he talks like a little baby. The warriors did it. No. And like, <laughs> he's a, he's I a, adore he's, it. He's uh, the spitting image of Steve Amy Ocic as well. Which, uh... <laughs> he doesn't like Steve Amy <laughs> He does with curly hair. That's actually true. Narangu, come out to play, yay! Yeah, but that that bit that you just um, referenced, Mark. I think even people who haven't seen the film, David, I want to ask you: like when when he started doing that singing, that tuneless singing, did did that remind you of anything? Had you ever heard anyone do that before? No, I'll be honest with you, no. Okay, that's oh, you must have because... heard Puffy do it at least five times, bruv. Say that again? Bad. You must have heard Puffy do it like five times. Oh, oh. bad boy. Oh, oh, shit. Come I'll out to play. I didn't, yeah. I didn't you get the link. I'll be frank with you. I genuinely didn't. Of course, yeah. Bad boy. Yeah, no, I just genuinely didn't get it. I did realise there's a lot of things. Oh, that comes from this film. You know, like, I can't lie, but I genuinely didn't notice that. But well, yeah, now you've said it. Yeah, I mean, the entire D12 fight music video is the Warriors. 
He's the Warriors, yeah. Yeah, yeah he's the Warriors. So they, they cast I, is it Ice T? They cast Ice T as Cyrus in in the beginning, don't they? Yeah, they did, yeah. Yeah, and very interestingly, like because I I I rewatched that this morning just to kind of see what um how uh how closely it hewed to the Warriors, and if you pay attention to the opening scene when Ice T is doing his Cyrus thing and it pans over the the group of the gangs in the park, you can see the leader of the orphans is is among the crowd. Um, oh, easy! So they like they've included him. They've included him, yeah. <laughs> so he finally got to go to um, the big meeting that yeah the orphans weren't invited to, and they were very upset about. But yeah. <laughs> be, the only actor I've actually seen in anything else is the guy that plays Ajax. I've seen him in lots of other things, but other than that, I don't think I've seen any of them in another film ever. That's one of the things I noted down. Yeah, yeah. David Patrick Kelly, so the guy we were just talking about, the leader of the Rogues. Um, yeah. He he was in the Crow. Um, Oh, yeah, was he? he played T Bird, who was in the Crow. So, um, the, the like the leader of the four that kills Eric Draven. Mm. So, yeah, that's it. And I believe because James Ramar, who plays Ajax, you know, went on to be in a couple of films um, directed by Walter Hill. I believe he was in uh, either Forty Eight Hours or another Forty Eight Hours. Um, um, sort of one of those two. And David Patrick Kelly, the leader of the Rogues, was in a few films that was directed by Walter Hill as well. So he would turn up in uh. a few things, but the the, the the funniest thing about David Patrick Kelly to me now is that you know he he made his name and probably his most memorable role is a character that does quite possibly the most memorable bit of bad singing in any movie. But he was actually a Broadway actor; like he did perform in Broadway oh, musicals. He, he can actually sing, and um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so he he played the he played the dad in the original Broadway cast at once. And so that's when, like, yeah, I sort of hadn't thought about him in years. And all I knew about him really was Warriors and Crow. And then all of a sudden I'm looking at the cast for the Broadway production of Once and I see his name in there. And my first thought was, oh, shit, that guy can sing. (laughs) (laughs) Just a side note, uh, James has gone to see the musical Once. Uh, About what? How many times, Jim? I saw it 23 times. 23 times in 22 months during its original um, <laughs> London run. And I, when it came back to a, do a regional production in Ornchurch, I went to see it twice uh, in the space of a month. So I've seen it 25 times in all. There you go, yeah. And you didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, listen, if we ever did a, a podcast on the movie once, it could serve as a DVD commentary for the film. I think you guys would just like <laughs> to do nothing, and I would just sort of sit there and just run through the film scene by scene. The um, there are some parts of the film that are just stupid, though. For example, yeah. I appreciate that they've got to get from Coney Island from from the Bronx back to Coney Island, and I like that. And and they used the tube service, but anyone with any common sense would have just nicked a car. <laughs> well, I um, I on, like that's the bit I never got. On Thursday or Friday, I said to um, the missus, I said, "Oh, uh, I've got to watch a film." called the warriors at some point over the weekend she had no idea what it was about she'd never heard of it so she thought it was a new film or a newish film so i put the trailer on friday night she says no i'm not watching that so i said oh fair enough i'll I'll watch it alone so i'm watching it this morning so and she comes in like right at the bit where the 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 gang uh, the head of the rogues gets stabbed in the arm and he does that yeah. proper dramatic theatrical scream and she just comes in and looks at me and I was like believe it or not it's actually been a good film like, he just met and you can see he his, drops you can the see his villains you know like the old <laughs> that, 
actually, can you explain that bit to me as well, okay? So we go through the whole movie. They get to the end of the movie and they're under the pier. And he says, is everybody packed? And he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, what about you? And he pulls out a knife. Where the fuck did that come from? I believe it must have come from, like, the collection that seemed to be under this pier. Because um, there were plenty of times that Swan, which is his character's name, um, could have used a knife. Could have done with the yeah. knife. So yeah. I have to assume it and... is among, uh, among that, um, yeah, cut that stash uh, yeah, that they go into. But that's interesting. That I, I, As many times as I've seen this film over, what, 30-odd years that it is since I um, saw it for the first time, it never once occurred to me that they might you know, steal a car. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, and, and the other thing, like when they meet the Lizzies and they all go back there, that the, out of the three of them, it's the young one that sus, that's a little bit suspect. It would be the other way around. It'd be the oldest one. You think this don't happen to me? This doesn't add up. It's all too good to be true. <laughs> Surely. How pitiful were the Lizzies? Let's be. They had everything at their disposal. They had that weapons, they had guns, knives, their pum pums, and they failed miserably. Like, what did they do? Graze one of their arms. <laughs> it's my favourite line in the film. The bitches are packed. <laughs> the bitches are packed. It was, yeah, it was good. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I think, like, the. the I say, like, yeah. Um, following on from how silly the film seems the older that you get yeah, definitely the action isn't as cool or dynamic as it seems when you're a kid watching it for the first time and especially to people like uh you know, mostly uh myself and mark who grew up watching hong kong movies of this era and a little bit afterwards like the action in american cinema really left a lot to be desired I, again you can say that it is um a feature of not being an especially high budget movie, but um, this this is a film that really sort of skates by on its no frills aesthetic. Like you know, it's in and out yeah. in ninety minutes. It's got a really really great yeah you know, nocturnal um, look to it. Like I I don't know if you guys ever um, have this experience, but if I'm ever walking somewhere at two three in the morning. London, New York, wherever it, whenever, it, whenever I've been walking around a city in the early hours, I will think of the Warriors. Um, yeah. yeah, if I'm you know, finding my way home, I can't get onto a bus or anything like that, you know. Or you know, if your mate gets arrested at Caesars and the blokes he was fighting with are on the lookout for you, and you have to get home from Woolworth to Deptford at one in the morning, Finden <laughs> will have you back. <laughs> <laughs> Which uh, happened to one of us. I was, I was, I was, I was actually being arrested at the time for sexual assault of a woman on a park bench. So <laughs> there's not much, I could, there's not much I could have done. No, but on, on a serious note, that is one of the things that is brilliant about the film in the sex that over the course of the film you lose some of the heroes. Like some of them get run over by trains. Some of them get their asses kicked. One of them gets arrested for sexual assault. Like it's not as if that was in trap. But they don't pack. But I was in trapment actually. You would never stand up in court. But they, it's not as if they tarn, they don't tarnish them as good guys or bad guys. They let the movie just roll. Yeah. Like you want them to get back, but I don't know if you really like them or not. No, I mean you root for them because the the goal of the film is their goal. So as as viewers, you are you know, invested in that goal. But if you pay attention to like, particularly the scenes when they're on the subway trains, the extras in the background 
look terrified like the extras in the background are always staring at them moving away looking you know absolutely horrified so even yeah. though you are rooting for them to get home the film doesn't shy away from the fact that within the context of the real world you know, these are not good guys as you say and I, I that's one of the things that the older i got um the more i liked um the movie the more i appreciated that it it was honest about that like yeah, these are criminal delinquents you're you're, you're rooting mm. for them because it is a film and the protagonists of the film have to achieve their goal, but it, it doesn't try to tell you that you know, these are good guys or even that they're misunderstood guys. And I really like yeah, that. And even when they do achieve their goal, they get there and they, they have that outlook of this is what we were run, like running for to get back to. Like they realized, is it all worth it? They have that kind of their little bit of turf. is just a dump. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much always the way. It is, isn't it? Yeah. Which is always the way. But the the opening speech by Cyrus is brilliant. Is just it it gets you psyched up, it gets you pumped. Yeah, yeah. I mean, who? How many times who can you dig it? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that become uh, that, that's another one of those things that I think was like so um, so well remembered and so uh, so much a part of the culture that even people who hadn't seen the Warriors would know that was something like you know if you ever said to someone who hadn't said the hadn't seen the warriors can you dig it they might not know what film you're referencing but they know you're referencing something and i think that's a a a sort of uh, a sign of just how uh well the warriors did permeate the culture and and stick around but and there's something quite um exhilarating about a chase movie it is actually one of these films that i actually do believe with it being over 40 years old now you could make a really good remake of this if you did it right. Have you ever seen the movie with Bruce Willis and Yasin Bey, formerly Most Deaf? Is it called Seven Blocks or something like that? Oh, no, no, I haven't seen that. Uh, which is which is a very similar chase movie where he's got to get him from the police station to a courthouse in New York. And it's good. It's actually really, really good. And it, it made me reflect on it can be done. It could be done really, really easily. But what you would end up doing, though, I know the problem is, is that you've got to focus on the chase element of it and not too much on the gang and also eradicate this idea that it's organised crime. It's got to be street gangs. Yeah, well... Uh... Uh, Tony Scott, the director of like, Top Gun and uh, I think True Romance, he was the director of True Romance, like, he was attached to um, a remake of The Warriors for years. I kept on reading that he was trying to do like, a remake um, of The Warriors and it never come uh, it never come to fruition and you know, Tony Scott unfortunately passed away about nine years ago. And I, I actually looked it up in the, uh, in the run-up to this and uh, the Russo brothers uh, who directed um, the Avengers, the last two Avengers movies, and Captain America: Civil War. Uh, they they were they are now currently attached to a television adaptation of the Warriors for Netflix, but it doesn't seem like anything has been heard on that since 2018. And I don't know if do you guys remember a film that came out in 2013 called The Purge? Yeah, called The Purge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. with uh, Ethan Hawke and I think Lena Headey was in yeah. it. And and when I remember reading the blurb for that and seeing, oh, it's so it's uh, one night where or crime is legal instantly i think well that that's how you do the warriors it's someone trying to get from one part of the city to another when all crime is legal yeah. but the purge wasn't that it was a home invasion story actually the second purge movie which i haven't seen i looked up the blood for that that seems much yeah, with more, frank grillo in yeah, it that yeah that was more, more of like a chase a movie yeah, where, yeah. yeah but i, I yeah, think that's is. the closest that you're going to get now to a, a warriors remake because i think um yeah 
Walter Hill, the director of um, The Warriors, it's not explicitly stated within the film, but he liked to think of it as taking place in the not too distant future. Like, you know, it's not 1979 in this movie. It's it's at it's at some point in the future from 1979. And one of the reasons why he thought of it that way is because when he was trying to get funding for the film he wanted to cast the warriors as an all black all all black or mixed black and hispanic gang but he couldn't get the money to do it that way so in his head the only way he could justify there being a mixed an ethnically mixed gang for the lead gang would be to say okay this is the future where you know it's somewhat dystopian and the world is a little bit different now mm. because in Sol Yurik's original novel which came out in the mid-1960s I, there is no gang called the warriors um warrior is a word used to refer to gang members and the central okay. the central gang in the book are called the Coney Island Dominators and they are an all-black gang um the, the original novel is like much more um sociologically minded it's it's um you know, it's it's not a it's not a piece of entertainment whatsoever oh interesting i might have to read it i might have to read it um any other points what you said there about being a dystopian future I, you get that though by i don't know how but you do feel that and it was very common of the time i mean the likes of um John Carpenter always made films in that kind of remit, you know, like we mentioned before, sort of in Precinct 13 or Escape from New York, you know, are quintessentially 70s movies, but they're supposed to be set 20 years outside of the the, the 70s. You know what I mean? So it's, um, I think, I, th I think that that's easily believable and easily understandable throughout the film. Yeah, it's also quite amusing um, to sort of think that, yeah, these, these filmmakers in the 1970s were look, you know, making these films thinking, wow, the 90s are going to be terrible. <laughs> like, yeah. just, yeah. like, <laughs> it's quite amusing to me to think that maybe The Warriors is like 1995 or, or something like that. <laughs> just, imagine 1995 from... But it's, it's funny you say that because when, when I watch Escape from New York and there's a scene where he kind of flies a glider, but the computer on it is just awful. Like It's just like an Atari and you just like... Their, their concept of what technology would be in that time frame was just so wrong, like so far out. But um, yeah, good, good, a, a good film to watch, a good era for movies. Although we are going to do the next cult special about a, a John Carpenter film, funny enough, talking about John Carpenter in, in They Live. Oh, I can't wait for that. So, I can't wait for yeah, that. Yeah, I, I think, I actually think there's a lot more to talk about in that film um, because it's, a little bit more ludicrous, although it's still entertaining. Um, it is again, more ludicrous. It we, is more entertaining, but it all, is also more more of an allegory. Like you know, the, the film and the aliens are standing in for things in a way that the the gangs in the warriors yes. are. Yeah, it's, yes. The warriors, for all of its heightened reality, is meant to be taken literally. Yeah, it's it's and it's not really a comment on anything. Whereas they live. Yeah, it's 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 kind of commenting on society a little bit so i think there'll be a bit more to dig in but that's not to that's not to run down the warriors because this is sort of one of my favorite films to put on on you know, a lazy sunday if i want something to just give me an adrenaline rush or you know something to enjoy for you know an hour and a half you, you can't really go wrong with the warriors have, have you got a comparative movie to the warriors another chase slash gang movie that you you always associate with the film well funnily enough the it's for me it's quite hard to not think of a film that a, a new york gang film that also came out in 1979 called the wanderers um because obviously you know, it's a new york set gang movie and it's the w the were so uh, and they yeah. were made at the same time and i believe that um 
the the producer the warriors kind of rushed their production to make sure theirs was the, was the first out but because they come out at the same time i always associate the two films together but they are very very different movies they are not um a, a chase movies but in terms of the the chase movie like the only the only other film that kind of comes to mind again this is a very different movie but it is a new york odyssey nighttime movie is a film called after hours it's not about gangs but it's about someone getting from one part of new york to the other overnight with the city itself conspiring to get in his way because in a way as long as even though you do have the the rogues and the riffs and the turnbull acs the baseball furies the lizzies all of those people stand in in the warriors way between them and home it is the city of new york that is the antagonist it is the city of New York yeah. that's getting in their way. And After Hours is another such film with the city of New York conspiring to stop uh, the protagonist getting home. Uh, it's quite clear that they remade this movie um, with Daniel Day-Lewis in it, and it's called Last of the Mohicans. Interesting. I hadn't, yeah, now, I hadn't if you, thought of that as a if point you, you of know, comparison. Yeah, I always do, because it just thinks, you've got your gangs in terms of the French, the English, and the Sioux. You've got the bird that he randomly meets one day and then he wants to get her from point A to point B. It always just kind of makes me think, oh, it's Last of the Mohicans. <laughs> um, that is interesting. I hadn't thought of that, but that is interesting. So, yeah, so we're going to do They Live on our next one. Um, I look forward to doing that. Dave, have you ever seen that before? I watched it when I was a kid. I remember um, Rowdy Woody Piper, obviously. I saw it sort of advertised on the telly or just in the TV guide and I was about, I'd imagine, about 12. And I sort of watched it just because of him. And I liked it. But I haven't seen yeah. it since. So I will definitely rewatch it uh, before the podcast. But yeah, I do remember everyone liked it as well. You know, and I've never, so, yeah. you know, growing up, you know. Yeah, it is a classic. So that will be our next one. And we'll regularly do that. Um, we will be releasing more episodes, as mentioned previously, bi-weekly as of the 14th of May. We try to keep you up to date with any of the films that we're watching during the course of the week, any of the episodes that are coming up, or anything that we find funny or humorous via our social media outlets. Uh, Jim, what's that Facebook? Uh, the Facebook is Blokes Watch Movies. You should be able to find it if you put it into the search bar very easily enough, and uh, you can go there for longer-form arguments about movies. But please try to keep it civil. And David is in charge of the Twitter, which generally focuses a lot of abuse towards Danny Dyer. Dave, what's that Twitter handle? It's blokeswatchmov1. Anything you particularly want to talk to people on, about on Twitter at the minute? Um, yeah, I'd like to, you know, hear people's opinions on the Warriors. Uh, like I say, it's the first time I've watched it. A lot of people have watched it more than once. Should I watch it again? Would I enjoy it more the second time? Um, if anyone agreed or disagreed with anything that's been said on the podcast i, I, I appreciate all all feedback positive and negative and the instagram is blokes watch movies i generally just put images up there of the films that we're discussing you can get the links to any of our episodes generally via spotify but that is available on other formats and i try for a few clips in there as well so thank you very much for taking the time to listen to us today guys thank you very much for taking the time Talk to me. Uh, it's been, it's been lovely to see you, talk to you both. Um, and we move on to our next special at some point, which will be They Live. But like I said, episodes will be coming thick and fast. If there's anything that you'd like us to talk about or review, that's a good idea. If anybody thinks of anything and they want to shout us on any of those platforms, please do. And we, we'll be happy to kind of approach a, a, 
an episode driven by you guys. Are we going to discuss the character that you both think is me? Because obviously, I... Oh my god, I, yeah, can't, no, I um, can't believe we've forgotten I, that bit. I, um, well, I didn't but, say he was you. I said that I said you would associate <laughs> oh, okay. with. Oh. I didn't say it was you. I think there's certain factors, one being he has a, a massive issue of authority. When he sort of said, who made you the leader? That's, that's the one that's going to be me. I just knew. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. It's, there's no even that. It's just, it's just the little bits like when he says, uh, good, I'm sick of running from these pussies. Yeah. When, they're waiting for the, uh, when they're waiting for the train and they're, yeah, like Swan's keeping them back from going to the platform. And I think it's Snow saying, come on, man, there ain't nobody around here. And then he goes, he's right. We're acting like faggots. <laughs> I knew first thing when he gave him the finger from the train as well. I, just, I know his Ajax that they that they were they were, they were both caught off. There's something about Ajax that makes me think that if he was at Royal Ascot and someone gave him a dirty beer glass, he would he'd probably just hit him. He'd he'd probably just punch him. I mean, it's just. Oh God. Oh God. Yeah. That, it was a. It was. A, that, he was the. He was my favourite character in it. Funnily enough, Ah, brilliant. Yeah, I did. I did chuckle, but I was trying to sort of think to myself, oh, you know what? I'm, I'm watching this now, thinking, which one can I say is Jim? Which one's can I say Mark? But unfortunately, yeah, uh, it didn't work out that way. Yeah, and there's one thing that I was, uh, there was no yeah, natural it... place to put this in. Um, but if you read up on the production of the film, so uh, the Fox character, the one that gets thrown onto a train track by a policeman um, sort of halfway through, that wasn't supposed to happen. It was like he was so unhappy on the film that the director said, okay, let's just write him out. Let's just uh, kill him off. So they, yeah, they came up with that on the oh, fly because really? he just really wasn't enjoying being on the film. Oh, yeah. I, I... Oh, so I mean, we're when, getting into when he when he sorry, go on, carry on. Yeah, when he got thrown on the track, um, and it, I thought, is this going to be sort of like an elimination? You know, I just thought, is it just going to sort of one go gradually every now and then throughout the the film? You know, like uh, but, and obviously when he got arrested, I still thought, oh, it might go down that road, but it didn't. But I liked that even more the fact that it didn't just lead to the the main guy being and and the woman being the last one to left himself yeah 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 so another great touch in the movie before we we close out is the fact that the absolute imbecile that decides to wear a camp cap a cowboy hat in the film gets his ass kicked every time they have a fight and and you just think that's because you've got a cowboy hat on yeah i mean it's, it's actually quite sort of uh, alarming how bad some of the warriors are at fighting um, like because you know, they're, they're they're a gang yeah. but, uh, <laughs> the, the right. original boss looked pretty good the original Leon. Leon, he, yeah, he, um, yeah he had a few moves yeah. Um, but yeah, and we... I think uh, I don't know if you guys um, ever did this but like that that downward six to nine elbow that all the riffs do when they're crowded around him uh, that was that was a move on, on the school playground yeah. for a few years wasn't it I liked it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah when you get jumped yeah <laughs> The, old, the standing yeah, elbow drop. The riffs were so, again, um, the riffs were so obviously like a white filmmaker's attempt to do black exploitation that I was half surprised that Jim Kelly just doesn't turn up um, 
as as you know, a member of the Roost because he would totally fit. And yeah, I I can imagine it must have crossed someone's mind when they're casting Cyrus. Could we get Jim Kelly? Right, just <laughs> they are. It is a ridiculous. Do you know? It reminds me. It's funny going back to another Jim reference. Is every time I see the riffs, they look like the dojo <laughs> from the beginning yeah. of Enter the Dragon. Do you know? <laughs> Do you know? Like, it's, it's it's like the same guys decided to design both. You know what I mean? But um, yeah, no, good, very good. Yeah. I've enjoyed this, guys. Thank you very much, and uh, okay, look yeah. forward to the next one. Peace out, guys.